All right. You guys can be seated. Um, so we're going to be continuing our study of 2 Corinthians, jumping in the last couple verses of chapter 4, and then that was loud noise that I probably did something too. No, they're shaking their head. Okay, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, last couple of verses, and then we'll jump into chapter 5. Uh, by way of kind of a review of Second Corinthians, what we looked at last week, um, just a reminder that Second Corinthians, probably written around 56, 57 A.D., um, written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul wrote four letters to the Corinthians, and uh, this would be the fourth of those letters. Um, and he actually somewhere in there between the second letter and this letter, uh, he made a visit that was pretty negative, you know, and I, we don't have a lot of detail of what that is, but from the context, uh, there were likely some folks that were, in, that were either in leadership or in influence in the church that were in opposition to Paul. Probably a pride issue, not a issue of their teaching was good or their philosophy was good or any of that kind of stuff, uh, but rather uh, just in, in prideful opposition to Paul. They wanted to be an authority in the church, and uh, so so we're likely kind of leading a rebellion there. Uh, Paul's kind of dealing with that as well. Um, he he kind of boils, he, he gives us just in First and Second Corinthians, he gives us what I would say is just a whole lot of good ministry information. And I think I said at the start of last message, if you could boil down uh, 1 Corinthians, that might be the more practical side of ministry. Um, and certainly 2 Corinthians is more the, the philosophy of ministry, like what this looks like for the minister. Now, both books deal with both the practical and the philosophical. Uh, but uh, this is, uh, Paul's really in defense of himself and uh, defense of the apostolic authority, defense of everything that he and his team have done. Uh, he gets a lot more into the, the philosophy there. So, a uh, couple of review questions for you guys. And by the way, I ask questions. If you forgot that, remember that. Uh, what is, last week I referenced the greatest beverage ever created. What, what was that beverage? Dr. Pepper, thank you. Uh, and I just found out this week they put cream soda in it now, which is even better. Uh, somehow. Um, last week we, we talked about, uh, um, us being referenced as, as kind of brittle jars or jars of clay. You know, we have this beautiful, perfect message that's in something that's flawed and, and can fail and can have issues. Um, second question for you guys. How many strings are in a grand piano? What? I don't want to hear different. How many did I say last week? 244. Fail. All right. Now, next question. How many pounds of pressure, if, if, uh, at least piano experts would say, uh, when the, the maximum amount of pressure that can be exerted across all these little hammers that are hitting the, uh, the strings, how many pounds of pressure can be applied to, to a piano? Fail. 40,000. Think of that. That's crazy. Um, this means nothing to most of you guys, but if you're a car guy, a diesel fuel injector nowadays in fancy trucks, they can have 10,000 pounds, PSI, 10,000 pounds of pressure. That's enough to blow your finger clean in half if you got it in front of that thing. Now, this is four times as much pressure. Uh, that's pretty wild. I forgot why I was going there. Oh, 
It is in those times, in those tough times, in those times of trial, in those times of stress, that that times of 40,000 pounds of pressure in our life that the Lord uh, and that treasure that we really hold dear and and the word really can shine. And so uh, that's that's kind of what Paul talked about last week. Um, and, and if I could boil down probably anything that, that we said in that previous passage, it was this. Paul was completely ready to die sharing the word so that others might experience the life of Christ. That is huge. Uh, and that, that is an example that we all need today. Um, Let's uh, let's go ahead and, and uh, just general general outline for the section we're at. You know, I mentioned that Second Corinthians, a book of ministry and certainly practical and, and philosophical ministry. But in this section, chapter four and following, uh, he's giving us some some definitions or, or some some uh, ideas of ministry. In verses one to six of chapter four, we got that integrity, and we read that last week. Uh, how we walk in an ethical way, how we walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Uh, last, uh, verses 7 to 15, what we talked about last week, is the conflicts or trials in ministry. And there are going to be conflicts, and there are going to be trials. That's why I said Paul was ready to deal with anything this world threw at him because of what he knew the gospel and the word does in our lives. Uh, so today we're going to look at 4.17 uh, to 5.10, and that's kind of the eternal perspective in ministry. And each one of these things plays in and, and uh, feeds into uh, the other aspects. So we're going to look at the eternal perspective in ministry. So let's pray before we get into the text. Father, thank you for your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be uh, in and through our study here this morning. Uh, We pray that you would challenge us on maybe things that uh, we need to see in our life, Uh, maybe challenge us and and, uh, give us the endurance to walk out some change and uh, just allow us to be submissive to your leading. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so verse 16. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 says this. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Now, this is coming on the heels of that discussion of that promise in Christ, that that promise of Jesus raising Paul and his his, uh, fellow workers, raising them again, and and even not only raising them again, but that promise of reuniting them with with the believers in Corinth. This comes on the heels of that when he says, therefore, we do not give up. I know something better is coming. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Again, Paul had just finished discussing his his present trials, the issues he's dealing with, the stresses that he had. He says, we don't let the fact that our bodies are wasting away drain our courage. And this is cool. We don't let the fact that we're getting old, and and he's physically getting old, but he probably had a lot more uh, physical trauma to his body just because of that. Those passages we read from uh, uh, last week, you know, he, he had a lot more physical trauma to his body than than you and I probably will have. He says we don't let the fact that our body's falling apart drain away our courage. 
Um, this is pretty cool. So think about this. Paul uses in this passage all of chapter 4 and, and part of chapter 5, he uses several words or several uh, um, uh, metaphors for describing physical bodies. First, in 470, he called it an earthen vessel or a, a jar of clay. Uh, 410, he calls it a body. 411, he calls it mortal flesh. Again, when you say mortal flesh, that means it's dying, right? Like it's it's falling apart. Uh, verse 5, he says, an earthen house. You know, I was so excited when we bought our house. And, you know, we got our, like it's being adult. Oddly enough, I was excited about paying my taxes, too. Yeah, weird, like adult stuff. Guess what? The house falling apart, and it's a piece of junk, right? Because it's made by men. It's made by mortal hands. Um, he, he says a little... Last part of verse, uh, we'll look at this in a little bit, chapter 5, verse 1. He calls it not only an earthen house, but also a tent. The contrast here that he's given us is though our outward body may fail, the inner person is being renewed day by day. Now, that inner person um, is is uh, kind of the, you could describe it, the seat of our soul. Uh, that's the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. Uh, that's that's the place where in Romans 7.22 we know that the Word can dwell and implant, uh, impact our hearts and challenge our hearts, right? That's, who, that's what makes us us uh, when he talks about that inner person. It's this same renewal that takes place in Romans 12, 1 and 2. You guys know that verse, but let's read it real quickly. You don't have to turn there. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the the idea that he's reminding us here. That renewal happens. Uh, in the seat of our inner man. Um, I've always pictured Paul had this... This uh, I've always looked at, when, when you read through the book of Acts specifically, and you think about Paul and all the trauma and all the, the, the stonings and the, the bruisings and the shipwrecks and all the stuff that Paul dealt with, I always had a picture of him being this guy that's kind of falling apart. All right, Paul reminds us it's okay if his body falls apart. Your inner body can be renewed every day. Check this out. He gets everything that happens to his physical body makes him a little bit closer to the Lord. He knows he knows he's getting uh, more. Re- he can be more renewed. He knows as he uh, uh, works into his fellowship with the Lord that that uh, he can grow. He relies, and honestly, this is a tough thing for young guys that I see that I minister to. Uh, he has to rely on the Lord more, and so uh, he leans into him more, and it's kind of a beautiful thing. Verse seventeen. Um, I said verse seventeen. He goes on. It says, for our moment, momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. All right? That's not to diminish anything that you go through, and that's not to diminish what Paul has gone through. Uh, he's not saying that, that those things didn't affect him, but he's, he, uh, he certainly is saying that these things are light and they're temporary, especially when you compare it to eternity. And that's that's kind of a cool way to, to say that. In fact, he's reminding us that nothing you go through right now will matter. And this is cool, too. Nothing that you experience right now is even going to matter to you in terms of the negative side of things when you experience the absolutely incomparable weight of eter- uh, eternal weight of glory. Now, I love that he says uh, says there, this is Holman Christian Standard that I'm reading. It says uh, the 
he is producing for us an absolutely incomparable. That's like, um, you remember our former president would use things like huge and best ever and all that. Like he'd really try to explain stuff and make it sound like whatever he was doing was like the greatest thing that's ever going to happen. Uh, whether or not that's a good speaking tool. I love that Paul's almost doing the same thing here. He's saying you can't get your stinking head wrapped around what eternity is going to look like here. Um, the fact is that eternal weight could be more literally translated fullness. When he says the eternal weight of glory, he's talking about fullness there, being filled and completely content in his glory for all eternity. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, James 1.12 says this. This is kind of Paul uh, uh, reaffirming what James had taught. Verse 12 of James 1 says, A man who endures trials is blessed. Uh, because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. All right. We're looking forward to things a little bit bigger than what we what we experience here. We will be rewarded for faithfulness done in this decaying and, and failing body. Let's read. Continue on. Second uh, Corinthians chapter four, verse 18. He says, so we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul is essentially saying here, focus on what is unseen. Look away. Now, this is kind of interesting. A young man that, two men, brothers that that I've mentored and discipled in in ministry quite a bit, uh, were asking me one day, when when you get on the road in rodeo, uh, sometimes you... uh, you see, you, you see things that maybe you don't need to see, right? And so as young men, just having that honest conversation about what you should see and what you shouldn't see and what you should be, see when you don't see what you shouldn't see, wait, when you do see which, whatever. When you see things, um, he said, what do you do? And, and uh, I said, you remember the song Dixie? Like, we can't talk about that song anyway, but what's, what's, the, uh, what's the chorus? Look away, look away. Look away to Dixieland. I say, you gotta look away. You gotta focus not on that thing that you know is gonna take you somewhere bad, but you focus on, uh, Paul's focus here was, was in this idea of looking away, focusing on what is unseen, not the trial that's before him, not the decay that's before him. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verses 25, 26 say this. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away. Now, uh, crowns, you guys have probably heard this. The crown that was given to uh, Olympic athletes was was a crown of olive branches, olive leaves all kind of uh, woven together like Christ's crown of thorns. And eventually, you know, that's a cool trophy, and it was probably cool sitting there on the podium getting that thing plopped on your head, but eventually it's going to fall apart. Uh, eventually it's going to waste away. That's what he's saying here. But we... A crown that will never fade away. Again, this eternal crown. Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like, box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict, strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. The stuff today will not last for eternity. Um, and those rewards we may receive will last uh, forever and are imperishable, he says. All right, so that gets us into chapter 5, verse 1. For This is Paul speaking again. For we know that if our temporary earthly dwelling is destroyed, we have a building from God, an, etor- an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. 
Um, building on what's said in verse 14, um, Paul knows that death cannot claim him, all right? Listen to this. Paul knows that death, physical death, may claim him, but death itself will not claim him because he has something to look forward to. If our bodies are earthly dwellings, um, and that's that the Greek word there is actually tense, uh, like like this temporary structure, not necessarily even a building like like our church here or your homes, uh, but but a temporary structure. Same same word that's used in John one, where it says that Jesus came and pitched his tent among us. Um, that that uh, earthly dwelling, that temporary dwelling. If those things are destroyed, we have an eternal tent or an eternal dwelling, not made by us or dependent upon us, but upon the Lord. This is something that Jesus promised to us. In the Gospels, when Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it, not with human hands, that's the same thing that Paul is is dovetailing on here. He's saying, what we have to look forward to isn't what you and I do, it's what the Lord built and what the Lord provided. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17 says this, For the Lord himself will ascend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet our Lord in the air so that we will always be with the Lord. Guys, we have something to look forward to built by the king. He goes on, verse 2. Indeed, we groan in this body, desiring to put on our dwelling from heaven. Verse 3, since when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. So uh, this extreme world that we live in, this, this world that's ravaged by the fall and this world that's ravaged by conflict, this extreme world we live in makes us desire to be in heaven. And that's what he's talking about there. We desire to be free from the world, the enemy, and our own sin and dumb... Uh, Dumb decisions, and I, I always say this, you know, we, a lot of the conflict we have, you know, a result of the fall is, is going to be just the nature of the world around us, um, and certainly the enemy at times, uh, but more often than not, I, I think the enemy has less to do in my life than, than probably just getting my alarm clock working. Like, if I can wake up in the morning, I usually do enough dumb stuff on my own without the enemy doing anything. Right, and so uh, this this idea is is we're uh, we're desiring to get out of this body so we can get away from all that stuff. We look forward to a time when we will be clothed again. That's that's uh, uh, zipping into this new body, receiving glorified bodies, not stained by sin in the fall and not falling apart. Verse four, he goes on and he says, "Indeed, we groan while we were in this tent, burdened as we are." Because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Uh, Paul gives us just a little bit of subtlety here. Um, he says, we do not want to be unclothed or to have this body or uh, to, to have no body or to die, but we want to be further clothed. He's saying, I know there's something better, and I know there's something better over the horizon. Paul was looking forward to a better body um, and, and this, this uh, glorified body. Um, and, and I heard a, a preacher a long time ago describe this, and this was a guy that had had hip replacements and staph, and hip, uh, staph infections on the hip replacements and uh, knee replacements and shoulder things and all kinds of stuff. 
Uh, he talked about one day as he hobbled up to the pulpit to preach, uh, he said, one day I am looking forward to the rapture. I am looking forward to a day when I am going to be zipped out of this terrible body that's falling apart and zipped into a new one. And that's kind of what Paul's talking about here. He's, he's looking forward uh, to, uh, to being not unclothed in, in this failing body, to, but being upclothed. Um, this incomparable eternal weight of glory referred, referenced in uh, 417 cannot be experienced without our new eternal bodies. This is all the Paul's talking about. Verse 5, we'll go on. He says, And the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. Paul again um, Lest we fall into kind of a self-righteousness, and, and I love these checks and balances. Paul does this a lot. Uh, John certainly does this quite a bit. But lest we fall into something where we think it's what we do, um, he reminds us again, and he says, And the one who prepared for us this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. Paul reminds us here that the Holy Spirit and that sealing is kind of a down payment upon our eternal glory. Right. And, and I say that to say this, uh, the spirit, you guys, you guys know what sealing is a good illustration for the Holy Spirit's sealing. You guys ever seen a branding on cattle, on horses? It's kind of cool. You take this little metal piece that's got a shape of like uh, your ranch or a brand or whatever, and you stick it in the fire and then uh, you, you sear it into the side of a horse or, or a, a cow, steer, bull, whatever. Um, and it kind of, kind of, Melts that flesh there, and then anybody that looks at that horse or looks at that cow could say, "Okay, that that belongs to Corey." All right, uh, we don't do the hot brand thing at our place, but we do do a freeze do do a freeze brand. All right, so you super chill a piece of brass that it's it's like a little C, and then it has a stack coming out of it. Um, you super chill it with uh, liquid nitrogen. You shave the hair real close, and and you stick that freeze brand up on the side of that horse. Um, and it actually deadens the hair follicles, and they all grow back white. It's really cool. Um, that's what happened to my hair up here, freeze branding. Um, but but he, when when you brand, that's that's the only legal form of ownership in livestock in America. There's no you can have the GPS thing and trackers and chips and all that stuff that you could get in dogs and cats too, but that's not a legal form of ownership. It's this stamp. It's this seal. And that's what, that's what Paul here is promising us and reminding us. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that is a promise uh, that, that uh, we are His until the day of redemption. Uh, Paul reminds us that the Spirit was given as that down payment. Uh, second Corinthians, a few chapters earlier, Second Corinthians 1.22 says, He has also sealed us and given us the Spirit. The Spirit is a down payment in our hearts. The Spirit is that seal of promise of our eternity, our eternal destiny with Him. All right, so get this, and this is what I get out of this passage, uh, this particular verse. The more we see the Spirit at work in our lives, the more excited we should be for spending eternity with Him. Right? That's that down payment. It's like you look at that brand and say, oh, I know who I'm owned by. I know where I belong. Uh, that's that's exactly what he's saying here. We should get more excited for eternity when we see the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Verse 6. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So because of that sealing of the Holy Spirit, we should have a permanent confidence. 
Um, we should have a permanent confidence. Literal translation should be, we should be courageous. All right? Uh, we should be courageous and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Paul's reminding us that while we are at home in our present bodies, we have a limited presence with the Lord. Uh, the presence that you and I could feel as we pray, as we go through t- trials, as we have other folks praying for us, the presence of the Lord that we feel is just this, as incredible as it is, and as amazing as it is, when we, especially when we need it, um, it's this small little glimpse of what it's going to be like to be in the presence of the Lord. Verse 9, uh, he goes on, Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Uh, remember this section, this entire letter, uh, is kind of a guidebook for ministry. And Paul brings home this discussion by saying, whether we are here and experiencing trials, or in his presence, you know, after our life on this earth has, has done, we make it our aim to please him. Pleasing, which is found in Romans 12, 2, you know, we, we read that a second ago, that good, pleasing, perfect will. Pleasing, as we strive, that, that means we strive as believers to be found acceptable. Now, he tells us why in verse 10. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. Again, that's why I like this particular translation, whether good or worthless. The desire to serve him, that desire to be acceptable before him, uh, should be natural given the grace he's shown us. And, and I know in my life, when I think about the fact that he loves me, uh, even the, the dumb things and the worthless things that I've done, uh, that grace should be enough for me to want to serve him. And want to tell others about him. That eternal life that he's provided me through faith is enough that I should want to serve him. Uh, and certainly that renewal that he promises as we grow in fellowship with him and, and kind of start uh, becoming more who he built us to be. Uh, all of that is, is enough for me, should be enough for each one of us uh, to want to share others, uh, share him with others. But Paul gives us another reason to serve well, and that's the the tribunal, this translation says, or the judgment seat of Christ. And that's found from the word bima, and most of you guys know this a lot better than I do. But this was a reference to a platform or a raised area that uh, judgments and decisions were handed down from rulers. All right, think in in the context here, most of us come from a European descent. Uh, This is like the throne room, right? The queen sits on her throne, and she says something, and boom, that's how it is. Whether it's a good judgment, bad judgment, whatever. Um, If you have a court case, in the old days you'd go before the Bema, and they would decide that between two opposing parties. Uh, If if you uh, had had an issue or a failure on the battlefield, You'd go before the Bema, and uh, and that would be judged. But also, if you did something well, you'd go before the Bema uh, and be judged. Uh, Bema was also, that raised platform was also the place where rewards were given uh, in athletic competitions, right? Think, apparently, the Olympics were on last month. Did you all know that? Huh, I did not. Uh, apparently, 
the Olympics were on. And, and you know, uh, at least in the old days, we probably can't do this anymore, but there was a raised platform, right, where set first, second, and third uh, would be recognized. And I think they'd play all the national anthems there. Uh, just kind of a, that, that's the idea of a BEMA, where you'd go up there and you'd receive that prize. You'd receive that reward for your efforts. Um, you know, I, I think I've probably mentioned this in the past, but uh, my dad was a pilot in Vietnam. And in uh, 1970, uh, he got what was to be the first of several distinguished flying crosses. That's a, a medal that's given out specifically to pilots in all four or five branches of, of the military uh, that, that uh, for specific uh, courage in a flying situation. Now, he had a Valor device or a V device put on it uh, because that, that particular distinguished flying cross was, was uh, awarded because of an act in combat uh, under fire. And so um, he, he received several of these, and um, he didn't talk about it for a long time, but he explained it to us uh, just about two years ago and talked about the context and, and how this happened. And he said the weirdest part, and it was a cool story, and we don't have time to get there, uh, but, but uh, the weirdest part, he said, about receiving this award and all the different awards that, that uh, he'd received, you know, uh, some of those military ribbons might be given for a, a kind of a checklist thing, like, okay, you completed this. And so you get this ribbon, but but these divide, these uh, awards that are given for specific acts of courage and valor, he said, for every time that I did something brave in a helicopter, I saw 30 other guys do that or more. And so it was kind of an imperfect award system, right? Because uh, it all really kind of depended on who wrote him up and when it was written up and whether or not the right guy thought about it at the right time to write it up. All of those kinds of things. Um, when we talk about the Bema, that's not necessarily what we're talking about. Um, you guys know uh, the name Cody Custer? <laughs> yeah, I don't expect you to. He's the night. This will help you. This, he's the 1992 world champion bull rider. Nobody. Yeah. Have you heard of the PBR? The professional bull riders. Yeah, most folks that have seen rodeo on TV have heard of that. That's kind of a bull riding only association. After Cody Custer won the uh, the PRCA, the Pro Rodeo uh, Bull Riding World Championship, he actually developed was with a group of guys that developed their own rodeo association that only did bull riding, called the PBR. Kind of a cool side note. Uh, along with that, he actually. Uh, started a ministry called PBR Outreach. That's why when you watch PBR on TV, you'll see these guys praying and leading church and all kinds of things. That was all started by Cody Custer. Uh, we've got to do several rodeo Bible camps together. And um, one of the cool things about this guy, now he went on, he not only was a world champion, he went on to start the PBR and he actually judged several rodeos. Now when we go to the National Junior High Finals Rodeo, he's the guy that puts together the pin of junior bulls, like bulls trained, like hopefully develop to, to not crush a kid, but also uh, take them to the next level, uh, be a little bit safer. But uh, he is just like an expert, a guru on the sport of bull riding. And I'll tell you what this looks like. This is a question you should be able to answer. How long, when somebody rides a bull in rodeo, how long do they sit on the bull? Eight seconds. Outstanding. See, that was a good one. Eight, who said ten? <laughs> I thought I heard. Yeah, that's a. Yeah, your your kids are done throwing you under the bus. That ain't cool at all. Uh, eight seconds. 
Cody can watch somebody for eight seconds. And I've seen him do this with kids that are like eight, nine years old riding steers. Uh, I've seen him do this with pro guys. He can watch an eight-second bull ride, and he can talk about that for 45 minutes and go through every single point, every single issue. Uh, And it's funny, these kids will come away knowing, okay, I did this, this, and this, and this poorly, terribly. I need to improve. And then they come away also knowing I did these five things extremely well. That's what an expert does, and that's what a great judge does. This is more the idea of what we're going to see in the Bema, is not that beat you up, but certainly this rewarding of your faithfulness here. Uh, the judgment seat is where that Bema seat is where we're going to receive rewards from Christ. This is not, hear me now, this is not about eternal life. Uh, John 5.24, we just read this, said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Right? Not about being perfect, not about works, not about any of that kind of stuff. And does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Believers will not be judged in reference to their eternal destiny because of Christ's work. Unbelievers will be judged, uh, and you guys know this, uh, will be judged at the great white throne judgment. That's Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. And it's interesting that the great white throne judgment of believers, uh, of unbelievers, are not judged for their works either. What are they judged for in Revelation 20 at the great white throne judgment? They're judged because their name is, thank you, Brad, way to be our leader. Um, They are judged because their name is not written in Lamb's Book of Life, right? What does it take for our name to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Belief. Wow, amazing. Um, Verse 10, uh, going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says that we will be judged so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. Jesus will determine our faithfulness and award us accordingly. Um, in fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 to 15, we don't have time to look there, talks about that refining fire kind of consuming up all that worthless stuff. And what's left is what we're going to be rewarded for. Um, and the whole context of the word, we know that there are some rewards that are likely going to be happening that are going to be given at this Bema seat. Uh, and that kind of comes in two forms. One is crowns, all right? And we know that there is, this is, you can read, we, we don't have time to read this, but 1 Corinthians 9, 25, James 1, 12, 1 Peter 5, 4, um, and then Revelation as well. Talk about uh, the, the uh, crown of life. It talks about um, um, certainly the, uh, the crown that will never fade away crown of life, uh, the shepherd's crown, the crown of glory. Uh, So it talks about these crowns, these rewards that will be given for our duty here and our faithfulness here in what he's given us. Whether whether you're Billy Graham and have the opportunity to speak to millions of people or whether you're this dude that goes to rodeos and speaks to a handful of folks uh, or or you're that faithful servant that that, uh, shows up at Awana uh, or you're that Sunday school teacher or that that children's church teacher or whatever, uh, the the person that's that's, uh, coaching kids across the street, whatever that is, we're going to be judged and rewarded for that. So we got crowns and then... um, Matthew chapter 25 and Luke chapter 19 and Revelation chapter 22 talk about the other side of rewards, which is positions or, uh, or uh, duties that are going to be given to us in eternity. Not only does Jesus say at the Bema, boy, you're faithful, but he also says, I want you to serve with me 
I want you to serve in my kingdom. That's really a beautiful picture when you think about it. Think back to, to me talking about those military awards. That's not just getting a ribbon. That's getting a ribbon and a big honking promotion, right? He's saying, no, you're no longer this, this lieutenant. You're a four-star general, right? That's cool. That's, that's an awesome thing. Um, we don't know when this judgment is going to occur, but we can assume it'll happen shortly after the rapture when we first encounter Christ. Um, and that's from 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. That's, uh, John says, So now little children remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have boldness and not be ashamed before, enter, before him at his coming. So we know it's going to kind of come somewhere in there. The whole point of this discussion... Uh, on the Bema, is to put his suffering in perspective and give Paul just one more reason to walk with that integrity. Paul here was living not for the praise of man, right? And that's so easy for us to fall into. He's living not for the praise of man, but he's living for the praise of his creator. He's living for the praise of his king. He's living for the praise of his savior, and that's a good thing for us to remember and a good thing for us to keep in perspective. All right, so um, as we kind of close out, a couple of points to come out of this passage. And if, you've, if you tuned me out a long time ago, that's, that's great. Uh, listen now. Um, first thing is, Paul knows that death cannot claim him. He can die in this body, but he knows he has an eternal life. He knows where he's spending his eternal life. Paul knows death cannot claim him. Uh, number two, Paul knew that he was sealed by the Spirit. And, and uh, like I said earlier, the more we see the Spirit at work in our lives, the more excited we should be uh, about getting... That's just kind of a, a small glimpse of what it's going to be like in eternity. The more more excited we really should be as we see him work. Um, so Paul knew that he was sealed. Paul knew that that sealing was permanent. And Paul knew that nobody could take that sealing away. One of the reasons why I don't brand a horse until we know that we're going to keep him. Because he's staying on the place. Nobody wants to ride a, brand, ride a horse with eight brands. He's likely to throw you. Just so you know. Going to be bad. Paul knows death cannot claim him. Paul knew that he was sealed by the Spirit. And Paul was living for the pra- not living for the praise of man, but for the praise of his Creator, his King, and his Savior. Um, know that the more we walk in fellowship with the Lord, uh, the more that we dig into his word, the more that we seek him in prayer, the, the more we get in fellowship with other believers. You know, we, we rise and we fall to the level of those we surround ourselves with. That's what fellowship is about. Us encouraging each other and us being encouraged uh, by someone else. But the more we do those things, and, and probably several other things, but, but the more we get in, into his word, the more we pray, the more we fellowship uh, in, in the local body, in the local church, the more we're going to see that spirit work. The more we're going to see our life be renewed and our minds be renewed and our hearts be renewed. Uh, and, and that's a huge thing. The more we're going to start to think with this eternal perspective like Paul had. And that's a huge thing for us to, to uh, walk out. But in addition to that, this passage uh, gives us a couple of cool things about salvation. Uh, and about how we attain that eternal life. Um, how many of you guys, actually I know how many, uh, we, we went to the Awana Introduction thing? What is that called last Wednesday? Leaders meeting. I'm not a leader in Awana. I'm a lowly, lowly, I serve my wife who serves Aaron at Awana. 
Um, but, but in that leader's introduction, it was kind of cool. The last page of, of this little folder that Chris gave us was uh, just kind of the plan of salvation. And it was one of the most outstanding, well-put-together plans of salvation I've ever seen because it focused not on what we do, but on belief, on faith. And I told Chris that. You did outstanding writing that. Uh, and he probably second-guessed himself a million different times because that's, you know, the, the really uh, uh, perfectionist kind of guys. I like that, and that's why it was so well done. But I, I want to read you a couple of verses. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. We know, this is Paul speaking, he says, For we know that if our temporary earthly dwelling is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Let's carry on to verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. The way to keep our uh, future bodies in sight is to walk by faith. John eleven twenty five and 26, and this is Jesus speaking to Martha at Lazarus' resurrection. Verse 25, Jesus said, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? Faith is the sole reason we know our eternal destiny is secure. Faith is the sole reason we know our eternal destiny is secure. And that's one of those things, because Paul's talking about so many great things in this passage. That's one of those things sometimes we gloss over. But he's reminding us here, faith, the third time, faith is the sole reason we know our eternal destiny is secure. Paul hadn't experienced that new body. He hadn't seen a prototype. He hadn't seen plans. He hadn't read a popular mechanics article on it. He didn't know, you know, he hadn't experienced that. He simply believed that Christ, uh, believed in Christ, and he received that life. The same belief gave him, gave him this, like this growing faith. This same belief gave him an unstoppable reminder of what was in store. And this is cool. Everything you read about Paul, especially in the book of Acts, is because of this mindset. It didn't matter what Paul dealt with in this life. His walk of faith allowed him to look away to eternity. Second uh, Corinthians 5.8, we looked at that passage uh, just a second ago. It says, for we walk by faith, not by sight, in verse 7. And then verse 8, and we are confident and satisfied to be out of this body and at home with the Lord. Verse 7 is kind of this parenthesis when he says we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 7 points back to, to the previous six verses, but it also points forward in verse 8 and gives us this precise timing of entering our eternal home. Like, um, you guys remember Star Trek? How cool it was? What, what was the phrase? Beam me up. Okay, one person has seen Star Trek in here. That, that beautiful picture of, of just this instantaneous transport. I love it. This is this is really what Paul is laying down for us here. There is no downtime when we die. We are away from this body, present with the Lord. As soon as we leave our physical bodies, we enter a new presence with the Lord. Hear me now. There is no condition of our works or our perseverance in good works for our going directly to heaven after death. There is no condition. This instantaneous transport to his presence is guaranteed through faith and faith alone. So if you uh, didn't get the, the, you know, maybe maybe it didn't do it for you, the first couple of uh, uh, passages and, and ideas that we looked at, remember this. Belief 
in Christ and his everlasting life. Believe in Christ and his everlasting life. That is the only way that we can receive eternal life. Believe in him. Dig into his word. Certainly seek him in prayer if you're a believer here today. Uh, But if there's something that maybe I've said that that makes you uh, want this hope that Paul talked about, I encourage you to believe in him today and receive life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, and, and we thank you for this incredible promise that Paul gave us. This promise that uh, no matter what happens here, uh, we, we have something to look forward to. This, this promise that uh, we will one day <laughs> receive this glorified, perfect body that is not stained by sin and doesn't have the issues of conflict and failing and all of the things that we can see here, but Father, is something that uh, allows us to walk in even deeper fellowship and and uh, allows us to even be in your presence. That's something, that eternal life is something that drove Paul and allowed him to sacrifice himself, his, his physical well-being, probably his mental well-being, day in and day out, because he wanted to share that with other people. And Father, what a great example that is to us. So Father, we pray that our knowledge of the eternal life, our knowledge of what's coming, our knowledge uh, of, of just what you have promised through faith in your Son, I pray that that would give us a hope and, a, and just the, that same courage to continue on and that same courage to not be disheartened, but to keep pressing forward. And Father, I do thank you, as Paul said multiple times in this passage, We thank you for the simplicity of how our life starts in you. It's not through our perfection. Uh, It's not through through any of the things that we can do, say, buy, sacrifice. It's simply by us believing you and believing in your sacrifice. Father, I'm grateful for the simplicity of that. And I thank you just for your love and your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.